Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to the Bridgeway Podcast. Uh, I'm glad to have on his second rotation with me here, Sam Storms, lead pastor here at Bridgeway Church. Sam, you excited for today's topic? Uh, Always. Anytime we talk about preaching, I'm excited. (laughs) That's all you have to do is say, hey, we're going to talk about preaching, and you just like poof, you show up. Absolutely. I love it. (laughs) That's great. It's my life, man. It's my life. (laughs) That's fantastic. And so um, last time you were on, we talked about why do we preach? Um, You know, like what's the the theology and the, the thought process? is behind why do we preach? Why is that so important, especially to us as evangelicals and uniquely here at Bridgeway? And today we want to talk about uh, why do we preach the way that we preach, I guess mm-hmm. we can say, So, which is why do we preach expositionally? So first, let's just answer the question, what is expositional preaching? What does that mean? Uh, how do you define it? How sure. do you understand it, recognize it? Well, my understanding of it is that the subject matter of the sermon is taken from the text of Scripture. Um, Somebody once said that the meaning of the passage is the message of the sermon. Um, And so uh, when I preach, I want kind of the the organizing principle, the governing direction of all that I say to come out of Scripture, and rather than out of my own mind or what I think the people might want to hear. So expositional preaching, it comes in a variety of different forms, and we can unpack those and and talk about the differences, but the fundamental underlying uh, notion, apart from which there is no exposition, is that the the actual words of the Bible in their context constitute the driving, controlling force and the substance of what it is that we're saying. We're not not trying to, um, uh, you know, give a political speech Mm. or... Uh, some sort of, um, uh, you know, we're not, we're not there to primarily to do life coaching, although right. certainly the Bible does coach us in how to live. Right. I don't want anybody yeah. to misunderstand me. But we are there to unpack, to exposit, to lead out of the text what God has put in, make make it clear, and then apply it to the lives of God's people. Yeah. I mean, immediately I start I start thinking about things like how do you how do you ascertain what is the Bible saying on certain issues because that then you get into all kinds of debates on exegesis and hermeneutics and you know like how do we understand what the Bible is saying? Um, that's obviously probably one of the chief concerns or I guess debates around expositional preaching is uh, what what is the Bible saying in these different areas? Uh, I don't know if there's a question there, but I just I'm immediately thinking about. If, if the subject of the sermon is the subject of the text, how do we understand the text? <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's not that we don't want to hear what other voices are saying. Yeah. I may want to know what ancient uh, historians said. I might, might want to know what a, a cultural critic today has to say about our world, but expository preaching is going to lead me ultimately to say, what does the Bible say about what the cultural critic is saying? Yeah, what does sure. the Bible say about what the philosopher or the uh, the pundit is saying, 
and how does it bring correction and direction to what other people think and say about life and its meaning and its direction. So again, we are prim- if we really believe, as we do, that uh, God has spoken mm-hmm. and he has worked by his spirit to what I call, people get thrown by this term, inscripturate. Uh, what he has said. In other words, it's written down, it's canonized, it's it's in our hands, it's bef- mm. before our eyes. If we believe that's God's um, inscripturated message to mankind, then uh, there's I can think of no greater joy, no more important task than to learn how to pull it apart, unpack it piece by piece, to make sense of what an author is saying, and then to to make a relevant application. How does that affect me today? Mm. Uh, what what benefit is it for me uh, to know what the Romans or Isaiah are saying rather than simply what USA Today or some internet blog is saying? Right. So is that is, would that be one of your primary driving presuppositions of why you do expository preaching? It's that God has spoken. Absolutely. Revelation Ab- oh, is yeah. the chief presupposition. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. So, uh, let, I mean, maybe this will lead us into some other presuppositions or um, or other topics of why we why we do this. So let's start with, uh, it's kind of, it, it is kind of a circular argument, I don't know, but what, why, what, how does the Bible prove that we should preach biblically? <laughs> or what, you yeah, know, like, what's sure. the biblical basis for expository preaching? Well, some people might be surprised to hear me say this. I don't think we can prove expository preaching from the Bible itself. Okay. And I think that's because what we have in the Bible was in a, what we might say, pre-canonical. In other words, right. um, when Paul stood up uh, on Mars Hill mm-hmm. to proclaim the truth to the Athen- Athenian philosophers, he didn't have a Bible in his hand. Right. Now, he had the Old Testament, obviously. Yep. Uh, and that's in fact, that's much of what preaching in the New Testament is. If you read the book of Acts, it's largely referring to Old Testament prophetic utterances and showing how they are fulfilled in Jesus. That's right. So they are, in a sense, unpacking um, the the content of Old Testament texts that was their Bible at that time, and then showing how Jesus sheds light on it and brings it to fulfillment. Um, but in terms of uh, examples of, of what we do, like what I do today, when I stand up and I open the Bible and I read a, a, a a text or a paragraph or even an entire chapter and then begin to explain it and apply it. We don't have examples of that in scripture. That's just not the way the Bible functions. Sure. It seems to me though, that my, my defense of exposition um, as, as the best and most effective method of preaching is based on my understanding of the nature of the Bible itself. Okay. You know, if, if second Timothy three, 16 and 17 is true, which I think it is, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's the product of the creative breath of God, and it's given to us, as Paul says, for instruction and correction and to be rebuked and built up and uh, equipped to lead righteous lives. So if that is the case, if that's the nature of what I have in this book, this, these 66 books that constitute one book, then I have to ask the question, what is the best and most effective method of drawing that out and making it relevant and helpful to God's people in the present day. And I think um, expositional preaching, as I define it, is the most effective way. Okay, so it's it's more based on what we have um, and the nature of it than what we have says we should do with it. It's, right. It, it, that's more about the ontological nature, about what the Bible is that demands expositional preaching from us. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. that's very interesting. So for you then, as especially as a practitioner of expositional preaching on a weekly basis— 
um, what to you are some of the primary benefits to you? I mean, not, not necessarily that we should be complete pragmatists and that we should only do that, which is beneficial, but uh, do you see expositional preaching as something that is beneficial over and against perhaps topical preaching or something like that? What, what are the benefits? Sure, sure. And again, maybe just for the sake of our listeners, uh, topical preaching, let's define that and sure. differentiate it. Uh, topical preaching goes basically what its name says. It preaches a topic. In other words, it says, all right, we're going to talk today about marriage, or we're going to talk today about uh, racial reconciliation, or we're going to talk today about interpersonal relationships, or we're going to talk today about uh, parenting skills. Mm -hmm. Great topics, all of which the Bible addresses, but the Bible is not really used um, to address and to help answer those questions. It, It becomes, I like to use the imagery becomes more like a diving board. Mm. You know, you read a text because maybe it contains a phrase um, that concerns one of those topics, and then you dive out into the waters of your own thinking. And and the actual statements in Scripture don't shape and form what you're communicating to the people. So I, I don't have uh, I don't have an objection against topical preaching. I well I got okay. <laughs> Let me be honest. We're we're on air here. I do remember. Um, one particular uh, Old Testament scholar, I won't mention his name, that I heard say, preach one topical sermon a year and then repent. <laughs> and now, I think it's probably a little extreme, but uh, his his point was, I think, well taken, and that is that a topic can certainly and necessarily needs to be addressed, but address it textually. Mm-hmm. In other words, topical preaching that is textually grounded is right. good. So, for example, if I want to if I want to talk on the topic of God's love, it might be good for me to preach out of John three sixteen, and and explain from that text how what is God's love? How does it manifest itself toward us? Uh, what does it result in? Um, so, topical preaching in and of itself isn't bad, right? But I think there are certain benefits that come from a more rigorous expositional approach, and I'd be ha- and let me just mention a few of those. Um, I think for the the first thing is it models for people how to read and study the Bible for themselves. Yeah. So in other words, when I'm uh, and, and again, I don't necessarily have that in mind when I'm preaching. Like I'm saying to myself and kind of my subconscious, all right, this is a teaching moment. Let people see how you do this, so they'll learn how to do it for themselves. But that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So when I'm uh, unpacking a particular passage, and the people watch the quest or listen to the questions I ask of the text. Right. And the answers I derive from the text mm-hmm. and how phrases and and sentences fit together to communicate something. As they watch me and listen to me do that, they themselves are learning how to read and study the Bible. Right. It's I mean, more hands on learning yeah, than it is because shoving yeah, telling them how to do it. It's more showing than telling. Sure, because I mean one of the common complaints I hear from Christians all the time is I don't know how to read the Bible. Mm. I don't know how to study the Bible. Um, and my answer to that is, well, listen to somebody who preaches expositionally, and you'll find out how. Yeah. You can you can learn by listening how it is that uh, God has constructed His Word and how it is that it communicates truth that we all need to know. So that's that's my first reason for highlighting expositional preaching. Another one, um, it's the most effective way to communicate the content of the Bible. So in other words, I I want my people 
to know what the Bible says. This is God's voice to them. This is this is where they find life and joy. And I don't know of a better way to communicate the content of Scripture than by expositional preaching. Mm. Um, another thing, uh, it's the most effective way for the preacher himself to learn the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Be- because, and, and this is something you know we might get into more in just a moment, And it's also one reason why I don't think there is as much expositional preaching as there ought to be. Hmm. It requires a lot of hard work. Sure. Um, You know, if I'm just preaching on a topic, I can go read articles. I can get on the Internet. I can glean observations from my own experience, and I can piece them all together into a speech. But to do expositional preaching, I have to be able to dig into Scripture. I have to be able to to ask questions of the text, um, interacting with commentaries, for example. Um, you know, you face challenging issues in the passage that you might say, well, I think I'd kind of like to skip this. This might be <laughs> offensive to some, or this might drive away some big givers or whatever. Right. And um, so expositional preaching requires a lot of preparation and a lot of study. It's hard work. And I honestly believe that's why so many today don't do it. Um and, I, and again, I'm not suggesting it's because they're lazy, although that might be the case with some. Um, and I'm not necessarily suggesting it's because many are uneducated, although that may be the case. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact is to study the Bible, especially if you can read it in the original language, but you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. We have resources today that 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 do that for you. And some people would push back on that and say, well, sure. that's bad. You know, <laughs> they need to do it for yourself. Um, but the, the point is, it takes time. It takes effort to to sit down and ask questions of Scripture and let it ask questions of you and and then formulate those results into what we would call a sermon. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest reasons for advocating exposition is because it prevents what I call hobby horse preaching. <laughs> All right. I mean, let's if you stop and think, and our listeners right now, if you could just stop and and think about maybe a handful of your favorite speakers or preachers. And you could probably say, yeah, I like to listen to this guy because he's always talking about X, Y, or Z. Right, yep. And, um, or, and you know, they get on one particular issue and they just write it and write it mm-hmm. and write it week after week. And you end up getting people who are very well uh, educated <laughs> in that one topic, but they're pretty ignorant and uh, ill-experienced in so many other areas. Yeah. Um, so again, it just seems to me that expositional preaching, it, it, now let me just speak personally, it forces me to address topics that I might otherwise wish to skip. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got, some, I've got some, some ideas and themes and points of emphasis uh, in Christianity that I, that I like to really talk about all the time, and I can do it at the drop of a hat, but... Christians need what I can call a well-balanced diet. Mm. They need the whole of Scripture. You know, think of Paul uh, in Acts 20. You know, he's talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, and he said, I did not fail to preach to you the whole counsel of God. Mm. And, I, you know, if you, I've asked various pastors here and there, um, you know, what is, what is the whole counsel of God, and do you preach it? And oftentimes they'll just kind of crunch up their face and said, I'm not sure I understand what you mean by that. And I said, well, uh, do you talk about heaven? Well, yeah, sure. Well, do you talk about hell? Oh, no, I kind of stay away from that one. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, do you talk about 
um, the grace of God in salvation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you talk about the importance of Christians uh, by the power of the Spirit pursuing holiness and putting to death the deeds of the flesh? Well, not so much. Right. You know, so expositional preaching does not allow me to jump on the bandwagon of one particular issue and just stay there. It really does compel you to address a multiplicity of themes and ideas in Scripture. kind of ended up touching on another topic uh, that I want to circle back to. We, we, we ended up talking about alternatives to expositional preaching, you know, such as uh, we brought up topical preaching. Um, I want to ask you one question in there, and then, and then I want to circle around and see if there's other alternatives to expositional preaching. I'd be curious to know if, if it's just topical and expositional or if there's others. But w- one of the things that I want to, I want to talk about, you, you, you talked about um, a topical sermon should be textually based. Mm-hmm. And you said, so for instance, if I want to preach on God's love, I might go to John 3.16 and say, how does this teach me about God's love? Um, how, how, how do we, uh, is, it, is it possible, I'm sure it is possible, but it seems difficult to to preach topically and it not be the diving board that you talked about. Because, mm-hmm. like, what if I went to First John to preach on God's love and I preach, well, God is love, and I preach from there? Am I going to get am I going to get a different answer to the same question based on which text I go to? Should we be should I just go to John three sixteen or should I just go to First John or should we be more systematic when we're preaching topically and trying to be textual? That just kind of piqued my interest when you mentioned that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I I think well, let's, let's just let's just stay on that subject. God's love. Sure. So if, if, if somebody said, somebody said, Sam, would you come preach in our in our church? We really need to hear about the love of God because maybe they've been highlighting holiness or wrath or judgment or power or something. Um, and I might build a a sermon around five different texts. Right. So I might take John three sixteen. I might take Romans five eight. Um, God demonstrates his own love mm-hmm. to us, and yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I might take John 5, 5, the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God into our hearts mm-hmm. and talk about what it means to experience that love. I might talk about uh, 1 John 4, and, and this is love that he gave his uh, son to be the propitiation for our sins. Mm-hmm. So I can I can unpack and exposit, as it were, the themes in those texts and 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 create what still seems like a a thematically uh, uh, driven message on that one idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there. Are, again, I, I, when I say topical sermon needs to be textually based, um, as long as what we are co- communicating is grounded in, flows out of, and is controlled by what the biblical text says. That's good. That's what I would insist upon. And and that can be done in numerous ways. Um so, for example, uh, let's come back to let's let me give you another example. What about narratives in the Bible? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, when, for example, when I'm uh, if I were preaching out of Hosea and I was going to talk about Hosea's wife Gomer, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who've never read the study and you're saying they named a woman Gomer, <laughs> yes, they did <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's an incredible story. Well, the way I exposit that isn't going to be going necessarily verse by verse, mm-hmm. line upon line. I might 
have done that myself in preparation. And then I stand back, as it were, and retell a story uh, like you would, um, like you're watching a movie, Mm -hmm. uh, for example. Or if I'm in the book of Acts and we're reading the narrative of Paul's conversion, um, I might try to recommunicate that in a way that would almost transport people back into the first century on the Damascus Road with Paul, um, and it wouldn't necessarily be line upon line, verse upon verse. So a lot of it depends on the genre or the nature of the literature you're dealing with. Um, You know, when when you're preaching poetic literature like the Psalms, uh, sometimes you can destroy poetry by by becoming too granular, yes. you know, uh, because there's a mood that's trying to be communicated. That's right. Um, or, uh, like I've already said, uh, historical narrative. Or um, now, take the epistles of Paul. Right. Now that's where genuine verse by verse exposition is is at its highest because. Uh, you read Romans, and there's simply no way to avoid the fact you're talking about a very logically well-constructed argument mm-hmm. with thus, because, therefore, in order that's, you know, all through there, and you have to go line upon line uh, to make sense of that. So again, it, you know, I've been preaching through Revelation now for, right. for several months, and um, it's hard sometimes to do just line upon line because Revelation is so visual. Mm. It's it's so graphic in its imagery, and so you want to try to you want to try to portray that in a way that people are going to be hit in their gut, as it were, mm. by the force of of the apocalyptic imagery and symbolism. So a lot of this depends on what kind of literature we're reading. Um, you know, if I can just riff on this for a moment again, <laughs> uh, I love preaching a single verse of scripture. Yeah. Uh, now, some pastors might find that hard to do, but sure. uh, I take, for example, um, Romans 8.28. Everybody knows Romans 8.28. Right. For God causes all things to work together for, the, for good, those who love God, and those who are called according to His purpose. Man, there's so much there. Uh, just um, spend 10 minutes on the fact it's God who causes all these things to work together. They don't happen sure. of themselves. They right. don't fall into place on their own. And God causes all things to work together for good. He doesn't say all things are good. Right, but God can take evil things and cause them to work together, um, and they work for our good. That is for our sanctification, even though they may be painful. And it's a limited promise. It isn't for everybody. It's for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Mm. So you can you can take one verse. John three sixteen would be a classic example. Luke sure. twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm. I have I have seven points in the sermon <laughs> I preached on that one time. And I got seven points out of that one little sentence. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Sure. Um, but then, obviously, you can preach a whole paragraph. You can take, you know, the certainly if you're in the epistles, there are uh, sections that are broken down that are very obvious. Even our English Bibles, you you can look at the how they're broken up into paragraphs. Um, but I like personally the verse by verse preaching through books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there are always exceptions to that. Um, you know, I've known. I've never done this, by the way, but my friend Mark Dever is famous for having preached one sermon for each of the 66 books of the Bible. Right. I don't know how he does that. (laughs) I applaud him. That is an awesome, awesome accomplishment. But the idea of preaching the book of Genesis in one sermon, or the book of Revelation in one sermon. It's hard. um, But that sometimes can be very helpful. It gives people a broad overview of the Bible. That's right. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's really, really helpful to talk about not only should the content and the message of the text should be the content, the message of the sermon, but also the structure and shape and tone and mood of the text should be the content, shape, message, mood, tone of the sermon. Like right. you, like if it's a narrative, well, your, your sermon should probably be a bit more narratival. Exactly. Yeah. So if it's poetic, it better have some poetic heat in it, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I think that's really, really helpful. Um, what, what, what are some, well, actually, no, I want, I want to ask this. I want to talk about what are some other alternatives besides topical preaching to expositional preaching? Because um, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, uh, I think there's a lot of false expositional preaching that I see uh, as I travel and speak. I see a lot of people opening up, uh, uh, you know, opening up the Bible, not saying, hey, today we're going to talk about blank, but they open up um, the Bible and they they, they say, I, I was reading my Bible recently and man, this verse just jumped out at me and I saw something in it that I've never seen before. And then they cease to give me something that's completely out of context. Mm-hmm. It's it's completely untethered to the text. It's not the message, but it's like it's it's I can't I don't know if I would call it like deeper deeper truth preaching. I, uh, I, I see a lot of that from like life guru kind of people. Yeah. Uh, do, can you can you think of any other types of of alternatives to expositional preaching? Well, that one is certainly a popular one, kind yeah. of stream of consciousness preaching. I would <laughs> yeah. call it um, where. I've heard this as you have as well, where somebody will um, read a text and they say, you know, I was praying the other day or just meditating. And that word, that image that appears in that text just kind of leapt off the page into my mind. And it reminded me of a situation in which I was dealing with that point. And then they go off into some personal narration of their own experience. And it has nothing to do with what the author was talking about. That's right. Just because your word that means so much to you corresponds to a word in a text does not mean that when you then begin to speak, you're doing it expositionally because whatever words you're giving have to come out of the uh, the author's intention in the passage you're reading. Right. What did Paul mean by that? Um, and that's, that's why, for example, it's dangerous, and this might get some people mad at me, but it's dangerous to sit around in a small group, for example, and say, all right, let's read this passage. Now, everybody tell me, what does this, this mean to you? you? Yep. Well, in, the, in, the, you know, in, a, in a very gentle, loving sort of way, I want to say it doesn't matter what it means to you. Sure. The question is, what did it mean to Paul or to Peter or to John or Isaiah or Moses when they wrote it? And then as we ascertain what they intended, we can ask the question, how does that apply to me? What does it say to my situation in mm-hmm. life? So, yeah, we have to be careful that we don't just take a phrase or a word or an image in a passage and use that as the justification for riffing on any number of uh, social issues or hot topics in our society or whatever. Right, because I've heard people say, well, I preach expositionally, you know, I preach from the text. And it's, no, you start with a text. Yeah, Yeah, and the difference is, are you allowing the 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 authorial intent to control uh, your message and yeah. I think I think that's a big difference there. To, um, let to me let me also say one other thing. I was talking about the benefits of expositional yeah. preaching. Um, some people have pushed back on me and they said, "Well, wait a minute. Let's say Sam that you're preaching the book of Ephesians and you're committed to going verse by verse through Ephesians. But what happens if uh, if there's some major issue that erupts in society, oh sure, or there's an incident that occurs in your city or in your church, 
and you're locked in to preaching one pa- passage after another as they appear in the text. And I say, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want people to get the idea that exposition, verse-by-verse verse preaching, means that you can't interrupt a series. Right. I mean, for example, um, we're recording this in the aftermath of Easter, mm-hmm. uh, and so I broke off from Revelation. I did a special message on Palm Sunday, a special message on Easter. Um, so I'm not saying that you can't uh, deviate from uh, the, the flow of a text, but I eventually I'm going to return back to it and re-engage. Right. So, um, for example, uh, let me just take Ephesians. Um, if I preach verse by verse through Ephesians, or if anybody does, stop and think for a moment, if you all can remember the content of Ephesians, about the number of separate although very interconnected issues and topics that Paul addresses. Mm-hmm. He talks, starts talking out about divine election yeah. and God's grace in chapter 1, and then about the Spirit opening our eyes to understand our hope and the fact that we have the power of the risen Christ in us who has been uh, elevated above all principalities and powers. And then chapter 2 opens with this incredible discussion of our sin and God's mercy Uh, And then in the rest of chapter two, I mean, what an incredible uh, basis on which to address racial issues. He talks Mm -hmm. about the divide between Jew and Gentile and how Jesus has made peace between the two. And then you come into chapter three in that incredible prayer, verses 14 through 21, about experiencing the the love of God. And then chapter four, about walking in unity in the body and uh, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And then chapter five, it's all about marriage and raising your kids. And chapter six, it's spiritual warfare. Yeah. And you and you get to the end of that and you say, my goodness, I covered about 20 or 25 really relevant themes that, yeah. my, that people are facing. And yet, if you do it verse by verse, you're eventually going to cover it all. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So that's a huge benefit uh, of expositional preaching is it's going to, like you, it talks about healthy diet, you are going to get a diversity of information, a diversity of themes, diversity of topics. I think maybe a false presumption people have about expositional preaching is, well, I'm just not ever really going to get around to talking about things that I need to talk about. And it's like, well, that's just not true. Right. Like, it's just not true. And again, l- let's just say this. Uh, let's say I'm preaching through Ephesians and I've just started out maybe I'm one or two messages into chapter one. And then I discover that um, there are some marriages that are really on the brink. Mm. And maybe we've got some men who are acting like bullies and not they don't have a clue how to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I might, and I think with some justification, say, all right, folks, we're going to stop right here in the middle of chapter one. Let's jump over to chapter five. Right. And let's let me set the context for this so you don't think I'm just pulling it out of thin air. And let's talk for a moment and maybe issue a challenge to the men as to what it means to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then you address it, and then you circle back around and pick up where you left off in chapter one. Right. So exposition can be very free and flexible depending on the mo- what the Spirit may prompt you to preach mm-hmm. or what the needs may be among the people to whom you're preaching. Yeah, and I mean, as a member of the church where you preach regularly, we've, we've seen that. I've seen that constantly mm-hmm. where it's— uh, you know, we'll have a we'll stop an expositional ser- sermon series, and uh, we'll we'll talk about worship for three weeks because mm-hmm. it's something that our 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 body needs, or something that the Spirit laid on your heart, or you know, something that happens in the church calendar, or even things that happen in our city. You know, it's like, oh, we need to stop and engage with uh, racial reconciliation topics. And yeah, and we'll I, do that. Yeah, in fact, it was interesting uh, when you know, within the last couple of years, we've seen so many of these explosive events uh, with police engaging right. with 
with uh, African-Americans and other situations where there was real tension among mm-hmm. ethnicities. And I just so happened to be writing about Revelation 5 when all this happened. And there is no more important chapter in the Bible on God's vision for uh, racial justice and racial reconciliation and the diversity within the body of Christ in Revelation 5. Right. And it applied so directly to that issue. I can't help but think through some of the presuppositions that have to be there for someone to take seriously the need and the prominence of uh, and for uh, expositional preaching. Uh, I mean, we have to believe in the inspiration of Scripture. You know, all Scripture is God-breathed. You know, you've mm-hmm. already mentioned that. We have to believe in that. We have to believe that it's trustworthy, you know, or as we've, right. we as evangelicals would use, we would use the word infallible. Uh, and then uh, what, what other presumptions or presuppositions are there? Because I know for me, when I preach expositionally, uh, one of my presuppositions is that ultimately it's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wherever I am, you even talked about as as Paul went around preaching in Acts, we see that he is showing us Jesus throughout the Old Testament. Sure. So what are some of your presuppositions that you approach uh, as, a, as an expositional preacher? Yeah, you mentioned two of them. Let me add three. Okay, great. Uh, then the one that you just mentioned is my first one. The fact, the Christocentricity, how that, how's that a big word? Yeah. The Christ-centeredness. <laughs> yeah. There's a little more uh, average term. The Christ-centeredness of Scripture, that we are looking to see how maybe an Old Testament text prophesied or typified or symbolized mm-hmm. or foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah. And in the New Testament, obviously, how um, he has now accomplished all things for us. God has spoken to us finally through his son. Mm. So the, the Christ-centeredness of scripture is an assumption. Secondly, the coherence of scripture. Oh yeah, sure. That is, it's, it's, it's harmonious nature. And so I, I am confident, and it may take a lot of work for me to see this because there are some challenging texts, but I'm confident if I'm preaching expositionally through um, Mark's gospel, mm that what I'm reading there is harmonious with what Matthew and Luke have said. In fact, I did this on Easter. You did, yeah. Um, you know, people read the four gospel records of the resurrection. They say, man, there's some, one says this and another says that. Right. But when you lay them out and you work with God's help, I hope, to recreate the the scenario that uh, unfolds on that, that Sunday morning, they are perfectly harmonious and mm-hmm. coherent. And then I think a third thing that I have to assume is, uh, you know, theologians use the big word uh, perspicuity. Uh, basically, that means the clarity of Scripture. If, 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 if the Bible isn't fundamentally clear in its essential message, then exposition is going to be pretty worthless. Yeah. Now, that perspicuity or clarity doesn't mean there aren't hard texts. Sure. Man, are there some hard texts. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, Peter said Paul, you know, wrote some really things difficult to understand. Um and there are hard passages. But I think God deliberately inspired hard passages. I remember John Piper preached a sermon, Why Did God Inspire Hard Passages? Mm-hmm. It's a great sermon. <laughs> and it's to drive us into prayer. It's to force us to study. Um, it's to create a deeper dependence upon the Spirit as we think and pray and research. 
Um, so I think those things that you mentioned, obviously, inspiration, infallibility, clarity, Christ-centeredness, the coherence or the unity of Scripture in terms of its, its whole message. That's wonderful. That's really helpful. Um, so for you, what goes into what I feel like would be a, a difficult decision of how do you choose which books to preach? Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm like, there's, there's so many, and, and you know, we've, we've mentioned like interrupting flow to address certain issues in our church or in our culture. Does that play into your decision? How do you go about that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm, my guess is that you'd get a different answer from every pastor or preacher you oh, talk sure. to. Yeah. Um, there are some who preach, um, in accordance with a, with a church calendar, you know, that, um, you know, an Anglican church, for example, would, uh, would provide a, a sequence of texts based on the rhythms of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when I have to just try to keep my pulse on the people. What is their heartbeat? What are their struggles? What are their needs? And then try to say, all right, now what, biblical books or section. And again, I don't have to do a whole biblical book. Um, I'll just give you an example. Um, it was, it, it became important obviously, uh, because I don't talk about it much to address the subject of financial stewardship and giving. Hmm. So I would stop and do an exposition of second Corinthians eight and nine. Right. I didn't do the rest of the book, although I'd love to sometime, but just those two chapters. Um, so I do, I do pray. I do ask look, God, what is it that is most needed right now? I think there's another factor I have to I have to ask myself are my people getting the whole counsel of God mm-hmm. if I can come back to that phrase uh, are they getting Old Testament and New Testament are they getting um, both uh, you know uh, the grace of God and also the urgency of uh, personal righteousness and repentance um, so those are questions that I ask and then probably in the final analysis I I make my decision based on what I'm really passionate about at the time. Sure. What I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, you have to have energy for it. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I when I decided to preach Revelation, I taught it multiple times in a classroom setting. Never had preached the Revelation before. Mm. Uh, maybe I was a little scared of it. Um, and now that I'm into it, I'm even more scared <laughs> of it. <laughs> but um, um, I just, I thought, you know, with the, the chaotic uh, horrific nature of life for most Christians around the world mm. today, and to see what God is doing and how He will bring all things to their consummation in Christ, uh, with both judgment and redemption. I think we needed to hear that. So um, I will ask questions like that, but I'll also say, what is it that God has placed on me? I, I want to trust that the burden I'm feeling and the desire in my own heart is going to dictate what I preach. And sometimes it's, um, well, I haven't done that or I haven't done this. And I'm wondering why have I avoided those books? Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to spend time, um, you know, in, in areas where I haven't really immersed myself in study in the past. So a lot of, a lot of things go into that kind of decision. Sometimes I'll listen to the people. In other words, people come to me and they say, Hey, Sam, man, why, why don't you preach from Exodus or I'd really like to hear what what the proverbs say about mm-hmm. all these issues in life, or uh, you know, do do a, a sermon series on the life of David, uh, or these sorts of things. Um, so, a lot of those are a lot of the things that kind of go into making that decision. Great, I think those are all helpful considerations, and also I think it's also helpful that you're not just 
being prescriptive. Like these are the things that you have to do to you know pick your books. I think that's helpful. Right. All right. I, I want to ask one one final question as we end. Um, and it's kind of an interesting one. So you mentioned hopping in. Like I oh you know I hopped in to speak on uh, giving and generosity. So I hopped into Second Corinthians eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, would you ever recommend or would you have a problem with? Uh, sustained non-congruent exposition. So what I mean by that is um, uh, you have a you have a preacher who is always preaching faithfully text in throughout throughout the Bible, but he but he doesn't do it as whole books. Yeah, yeah, right. So what's... Now, let's let's talk about the the king uh, of that kind of preaching, Charles okay. Spurgeon. Oh, sure, yeah, Charles Spurgeon. Not only probably the greatest preacher of the 19th century, but some would say of any century. Mm. Um, and Spurgeon did not preach through books of the Bible. Jonathan Edwards did not preach through books of the Bible. Mm. He, there were there were an occasional exception, but both of those individuals would preach on singular text or a, or a paragraph, and then the next week it'd be in an entirely different book in an entirely different genre of scripture. Sure. You think I'm going to sit here and crit- criticize Spurgeon and <laughs> I, I Edwards? Don't. No, I don't. I know you better than that. <laughs> oh my gosh! Would that I or any all of us could preach like they did? So um, I have. I don't have a problem with that. In other words, I don't have any basis for saying it's wrong. Sure. Would I have loved to have had, um, you know, uh, Spurgeon on the Book of Romans? Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, for example, he's preaching in the Gospels. You can uh, somebody has gone in and collected Spurgeon's preachings on uh, the life of Jesus and on especially the the final week mm-hmm. of uh, of his life, and those in themselves become expositional books on on particular chapters of the Bible. Um, but I understand the reasoning for that. Um, I don't agree with it. I would not be able to do that myself. I just think that there is something about immersing people consistently over time in the same book uh, to see how how the, how the Bible is put together, yeah. as it were, how the Spirit inspired these authors to say what they did, that there's such benefit in that. Um, so, you know, then you get people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, maybe one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, who would spend, so you know, awesome. six weeks in two verses. Yeah. I mean, he's got, I think his his uh, sermons on Romans is up to like oh. 12 volumes Yeah, now. it's ridiculous. I was I was trying to study him for uh, Romans, a Romans 7 study, and I had to read a whole volume in yep. his commentary set just to get through about 12 verses in Romans 7. <laughs> yeah. So, again, Edwards and Spurgeon were expositional. Yeah. But they were not verse-by-verse, uh, book-by-book mm-hmm. expositors. Um, and, um, again, I'm, I'm not going to criticize that. It's, it's not the way I would do it, but look at what they've accomplished in the way they did it. So who can complain? Yeah, sure. And, you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about how one of the reasons why you do, and one of the benefits of uh, expositional preaching is teaching our people how to read their Bibles. And, um, you know, we don't necessarily as Bible readers, it'd be exhausting to always be ping ponging around. You know, I love reading a book straight through, and so if, if we're preaching through books, it helps me understand the shape of a book and how arguments are dependent on one another, how a narrative is shaping. So that those seem to be kind of 
uh, interdependent on, on one another. They help one another along is right. teaching your people how right. to read the Bible. So that's really helpful. Any any other thoughts you feel like we didn't get to cover in this? In this, I know it's a whirlwind to try to cover oh, expositional preaching in under an we, hour. <laughs> I think we pretty much did it. I, I think we did it. I Yeah, if there are pastors listening to this um, and they're feeling a little guilty, um, and I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want this yeah. to be – I want this to be encouraging to you. I would just say um, – you, if, if you're saying to yourself, I don't think I know how to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I learned to do it. No, certainly, I went to seminary, and so they taught expositional preaching. But I learned expositional preaching from listening to two men. Hmm. One was S. Lewis Johnson, who was my theological, spiritual father at Dallas Seminary, and I was his associate pastor for eight years in Dallas, and watching him walk through Romans, for example, line upon line. And I studied how he did it. I listened to how he made transitions from one verse to another, how he knew what questions to ask of Paul. And then the other was a guy named Joel Gregory, who was a, is a, one of the greatest preachers, I think, of this century uh, when he was at Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. Every Sunday night uh, from 930 to 10, they would replay his sermon series on Philippians. Hmm. And I was just mesmerized by it, and I and I studied the way he studied and and communicated that book. So I would say to to pastors, um, you know, you have resources today that we didn't have when I was being educated. Oh man! Yeah. And you know, you have podcasts, you have internet, you can download, you can record and replay. Pick two or three really good expositors and study them, study their methods, study how they use illustrations, listen closely to the, the points of emphasis they make, and that will greatly inform and help you in, in learning how to be an expositional preacher. Mm, I think it's really helpful. Um, I also think as a point of encouragement to preachers, and I don't know you can if you want to back me up or second this, um, but I'm just thinking about, uh, you, you said it, it's hard, expositional preaching is difficult, but I also, from someone who doesn't you know, who, who uh, I prescribe to, to expositional preaching, even though I'm not a weekly practitioner of it, I, I'm a supporter of it. Um, I, I think it would be exhausting to constantly have to rack my brain for topics. <laughs> yeah. Like knowing, knowing, okay, I'm, I'm just here in Philippians for a while. Like to me, that takes the load off. At least I know what I'm going to be preaching for a while. That's one of the easier things about yeah. <laughs> it is, is that, is that your preaching schedule has been predetermined. <laughs> yeah. I find that helpful. So, you know, maybe, maybe that could be encouraging to people. If, if, if you're looking for more excuses to take the plunge, maybe that's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much. Um, I'm excited um, about uh, having you back on here in a month or so. And uh, I think this is, this will be really helpful. It was definitely helpful for me. So thank you for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Love doing it. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.